0: welcome 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 we are on to coming up to the close to the end of our series is this week and next week and then we start into the new testament and so i'm going to be asking for suggestions from you guys uh for a book in the new testament so you can put that in the chat if you'd like and um Either suggestions for books in, um, in the Bible, in the New Testament, or uh, topics um, that you'd like to be addressed from perhaps the New Testament. But anyhow, all right, we already have one suggestion. You better get your suggestions in or uh, the first gets picked here. Ooh, they're coming in now. Acts, John, John. 1st and 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, Hebrews, curse you, Mario. Hebrews is hard. I'm quoting from it this morning. Anything New Testament, Old Testament is too hard. (laughs) Uh, End times, Daniel. Sorry, Daniel is Old Testament. We have to go. You'll have to wait till the next round, Neil. But I like Daniel. Great suggestion. Uh, Cool. All right, so far we have those in the running. Um, Okay. Well, today, we're going to be looking at the atonement. Uh, This is the central part of the book. Um, This is chapter 16 and 17. And um, we're going to be talking about what that means. Um, So let's jump into it. Uh, I'm going to read from Chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. So if you have your Bible, your um, either in print or electronically, uh, look at that. And we're going to look at chapters uh, again, 16, just chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by lot as a as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord, to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Um. Very, uh, very, very uh, confusing <laughs> for us who are not in the ancient world, which was. All they knew were sacrifices, as we said to begin this uh, this this book, sacrifices and rituals. Okay, so atonement. We're going to talk about. We're going to simplify this. Two goats. One is for sacrifice. The other one is the scapegoat. Okay, both of those were offered once a year to cover the sins of the people uh, for the entire year. Okay, and that was. That was the once a year Yom Kippur, uh, the biggest day of the year for for Jews. It is the single biggest celebration. In other words, everything else or all the other sacrifices, all pointed to this one day. Right? It wasn't just one of many that they had to follow. This was it. This was the crescendo. Everything else was building up to this moment, and the, and the Day of Atonement was the day that represented where all sins of the people covered all sins of the people were forgiven okay and so uh the two goats um one was sacrifice and the other one was the scapegoat so let's start with the sacrifice goat um you might think well uh, you know a goat what why why is it that an innocent animal is um, has to have its life taken But when we ask those questions, we're asking it from our perspective. We're asking it from our level of understanding a few thousand years later, as opposed to where they were at. And so, again, what we do is we understand cultural realities do not translate very well. But what translates every single time is the transcendent need that existed for them. It exists for us. That's why it's transcendent. And the transcendent message that was there, there, there for them. That is there for us today. Um, so let's look at the sacrifice. The sacrifice goat, the one that had its sins, the sins of the people, uh, transferred to it. And this is what was done: is the high priest would lay hands on it. The sins of all the people symbolically were transferred to this one goat, and the goat was sacrificed. The sacrifice itself was limited and total or complete. Meaning that there weren't, that there wasn't any need for other sacrifices beyond that. Right? All the other sacrifices that happened during the year, again, were all the ones that pointed to ultimately to the Day of Atonement. But it was limited in scope. It wasn't as if there wasn't any guidance, theoretically, from God through Moses to the people. There wasn't this, there was a sense of needing to know how much is enough. How much is enough? When is too much, too much? If I, if I, if I sin and I do something really awful, do I have to kill five goats? Do, do we, do I have to ask, ask Aaron on the day of atonement, could you offer an extra one? Because I really did terrible this, this past year, you know, um, could could could, uh, could someone say, geez, you know, there was so, so many evil things done to me by my neighbor that I think that that's just not enough. I think throughout the year, he should be offering even more sacrifices and more sacrifices and more sacrifices because he really harmed me. How much is too much? How much is enough? We don't, we don't know unless there was some kind of system given that said, this is it. You have these sacrifices throughout the year, and then on the Day of Atonement, it's one goat. It's limited, and it's complete, meaning there wasn't any need for anything more. You were forgiven. Now, that's hard to conceive of, even for the ancient world, to walk away from that and to say, does this mean I'm, we're all forgiven and everything is fine because of one goat that's been offered for the entire you know, nation? on that one single day. And it, so it required what? What did it, does it require? It required faith. Right? It required faith, not necessarily, uh, you know, uh, so it, it, it works, more works, you know, because if it was a works-based system, which is what many people believe is that in the Old Testament it was works-based and the New Testament it's grace-based, not for, the, not, for, not for the Apostle Paul or for others, even though they can point to the fact that much of it w- became about works. But ultimately, Paul's making the case, even, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, that it was always by grace. <laughs> it always has been. Uh, it's just that at the level at which it was, there were more works necessary, but not for the sake of God, for the sake of people in their own conscience, their own need for more their own need for sacrifice. That's what the Hebrew writer says. We'll look at that in a moment. So it's not as though God needs sacrifice. It was that that's what people needed. And people needed to make these sacrifices and needed to know how much was enough. And then can I walk away and know that I'm forgiven? And still that takes faith because how much sacrifice could really cover it? We know this in our own personal lives. If you have been wounded deeply and you want to see that other person somehow hurt in some way, not terribly, but hurt in some way, does it ever satisfy? Does withholding forgiveness ever finally resolve it for you and finally make it so that it's okay? It requires not more sacrifice and not more punishment, but it requires something else entirely. It requires forgiveness. It requires a release. And that's what the sacrifice was pointing to, ultimately. was one goat, limited in scope, but complete in its action, in its impact. Um, The need that's transcendent for these people that is the same for us is what I've just suggested that we have a need for some kind of atonement, something to punish, something, some, some way to earn our way back. Um, and, and for a lot of us, it shows up in various different ways. But for each of us, there's a sense of that need. And there's a sense of that need collectively for society. Right, we think of people who go away and do their time in prison. All right? What's, the, what's the, uh, the, the, the phrase that's oftentimes used about that, you know? He had, he had to, uh, you know, pay his debt to society, right? You've heard that one before. Pay your debt to society, right? Where does that come from? That comes from this ancient world of where when you do something, there's a debt that's incurred. There's a debt that's incurred either to other people, to society as a whole, to yourself, to your God, and there, and that was an existential sense of like, I, I know that I've done something, and in order to be welcomed fully back in, if I want to, you know, I've got to. There's something I've got to do to make my way back in. There's a price to pay, and so people would uh, devise all sorts of things. Even the prison system today, in many ways, besides trying to protect us from. You know, criminals, is also as a way to, to pay a debt, to make atonement for the sins of the individual. And the second goat was the scapegoat. And the scapegoat, uh, there are theories on this one. As you read in the verse um, that there are two goats in verse 7 is to, pres- to take two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. But he is to cast two lots for the two goats. One for the Lord. Interesting that there's a, a a binary here. One for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. And yet he says both are for the Lord. Okay, So there are theories that um, I'll just put out there and I don't want to spend any time on it because they're theories and we just don't know. But what we do know can make all the difference in the world for us today. But to satisfy any questions around that that may linger for some of us is, what, why? Why a scapegoat? What was that about? Well, the scapegoat, let me first say what the scapegoat was, is the sins of the people were also transferred to the goat. So interesting that the sins of the people were put on the sacrificed goat and also were transferred to the scapegoat. So it's as if to say, look, whatever sins isn't covered by the atonement or by the, the atonement is the two goats, but by the sacrifice goat is covered by the scapegoat and a scapegoat is sent into the desert alive. And part of the uh, ancient world's view was, and depending upon what age you're talking about and also what culture you're talking about, is there were beliefs Um, By certain religions, like the oldest religion that we know of, or one of the oldest is Zoroastrianism, which predates Christianity and predates Judaism, uh, believed in the, the eternal power of good and evil, that there were these two forces that always existed. And so there were plenty of theories that the scapegoat was actually offered to the God of evil, the God of darkness. It was offered to that as a way to satisfy that God too. So that was one. I don't know that that was the, what the ancient Jews believed. But what we know from a psychological standpoint, from a human need perspective, is that there always seems to be the need to have some kind of scapegoat. One of the most obvious ones were the Jews in Nazi Germany. Hitler used the scapegoat um, way of thinking, right? The scapegoat need for hu- in humans as a way to manipulate the Germans into believing that the reason why they had the problems they had were because of the Jews. And so the Jews were killed as a way, and it took a while for people to get there, But you can get people to rally around and to believe that the reasons why they have the problems they have has to do with someone else or something else. And very few people don't scapegoat other people or systems or something outside of themselves. But nearly everybody scapegoats outside things and also themselves, and I'll explain what I mean by that. And so Nazi Germany is a great imp picture of that, a terrible, awful picture of what can happen with scapegoating. But it happens to every one of us. So yesterday, I talked to a client of mine, and he um, he's a fairly new client, uh, and he said, you know, I'm, I'm just having a tough week. I'm having a tough couple weeks. I'm feeling depressed. Um, I'm battling all sorts of like, you know, I can't even pay attention. It's the weirdest thing. Like I used to be able to pay attention for a long period of time and now I'm finding myself not being able to pay attention like five minutes is best. And then I'm off to needing to do something or lose myself in something else. And, um, and he said, you know, I, I have all these, you know, loves. And then even the things that I love to do, I, I can't get myself started to do them. I even know what I should do. I, that's clear to me. I need to be doing this, this and this, and I can't even get there. And then he says, you know, and then there's the, then this was happening in our world. And I'm finding myself like, I can't rely on anything because the media, everybody's an expert now, even though most Experts have disappeared in the world, and now there are no real media experts. There are no real experts in anything, and I and you can't trust anybody. You can't trust the politicians. You can't. And he's going on and on and on about what's happening. And the funny thing about it is that any one of these things that he brought he brought up was a place that was easy for me to chase and go down that rabbit trail because they all seem real and. And in very and, and in some ways are real and they are issues for sure. But then what I asked him was, what is your heart? What does your heart really want? There was a moment when he was talking about something that he loved. and I saw him get so relaxed in himself and find that like pleasure and joy for a moment, and then he went back to the problems. And I said, let's go back to this moment where your heart was happy. And I said, I think that all of this is are all distractions from the thing that you're actually fighting. And that is your own true heart, your own true desires. I says, could you talk about that for a moment? And his eyes filled with tears. And he said, I'm having a hard time talking because... I can feel my heart right now and it is is—it is so sad and i and it hurts because I've denied myself for so many years and I thought in that moment there were two scapegoats. One was the whole thing of the politics and the media and all this other stuff that are all real and are all really messed up, but it had all conflated into this ick that he was feeling. And it was much easier to focus in and be distracted by media and by politics and by chasing this other thing and that other thing. To blame this force out here and to scapegoat outside of the self. And then, not two scapegoats, but to the two goats. The scapegoat was the politics, the media. But then the sacrifice was for some reason he could not allow himself to actually pursue his true desire there was a part of himself that at some point he believed needed to be punished needed to earn its way to finally being able to do the thing that he really wanted to do as somehow he had to work hard enough he had to sacrifice hard enough he had to punish himself hard enough and i said to him i think you're at war with your own self and he said that is exactly what's going on we have a need as a human species sometimes to punish different parts of ourselves, to sacrifice, to earn our way to love. I have to earn it. I have to be successful. If I can finally burn, if I can burn the candle at both ends and finally be successful, then I will finally be loved. I will finally be accepted. If I can, if I can, if I can work hard enough, if I can just suffer long enough, then maybe, 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 if I can avoid, if I can, whatever it is. And so those two are always at play within us, the scapegoat and the sacrifice. And oftentimes it's a mixture of both where people become the sacrifice or the scapegoat, or we become the sacrifice in this game. And it's all happening in all directions. And the question that we oftentimes have to ask ourselves is when we begin Down the path of finding ourselves blaming or finding ourselves distracted or consuming something too much is that maybe what's happening is that we believe that our needs are not being met, but we're not being open and trusting that perhaps God does want to give us exactly what we really, really do want But we feel like, no, we have to earn it because we're not good enough. We have to work hard enough. We have to do something for it. And maybe God is saying, no, it's all good. This is the system that was given to the ancient Jews, is that you have one sacrifice to do away with all of that. It is limited, and it is total and complete. Maybe this is the reason why on the cross Jesus says it is complete. It is finished. It's limited and complete. Can you take that? Can you receive that? Can you trust that? Can you trust that this one goat per year is enough? Can you trust that the other goat that becomes a scapegoat is enough? See, in atonement, there are three components to atonement. There's the confession and the transference of sins onto the goat to be sacrificed. There is the confession and transference of sins onto the goat that is the scapegoat. And in that symbolic act, people had to take their faith and activate their faith to believe that, yes, this is all being put on this. It is being removed and taken out from me. I do not need to earn. I do not need to work. I do not need to sacrifice. I do not need to punish myself. I don't need to punish anybody else. I can finally just say, this goat has taken it all. You see, the thing that's funny about it is for us modern day Christians, we can look at the ancients and say, uh, you know, they make, make jokes or ridicule or look down upon that system. Because we believe that Jesus took it all. It required just as much faith for them to believe that this one goat would take everything. How ridiculous. Really? It could take it all? Is that really enough? And the truth of it is it never was enough. And this is the reason why they began to do what they did. They couldn't understand that God's grace was being given to them in a system they understood, the sacrificial system. But it was limited and it was total. And they could not get that. And so there was still the need to somehow punish, the need to scapegoat, the need to sacrifice. It was never enough. But in the atonement, the first component was this confession and transference of sins. The second was, then you must believe and receive forgiveness You must believe that forgiveness has been granted to you. Because as you believe that the sins have been transferred to this goat, now you have to believe that in return, I'm forgiven. And I've got to be able to take that in. And I've also got to believe that other people are forgiven, even though sometimes what they have done is so painful and so hard. To forgive, I've got to believe because how much punishment is enough, and when will I be satisfied? I either put just deny and just no, 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 I don't want to look at it, or I compare myself to others to make myself feel better, or I blame and punish other people. There's always some kind of way we go about this, but it's never ever enough to satisfy our conscience, to satisfy our soul, and so. Forgiveness is the only way out of that system of sacrifice and scapegoating. And so the third part is no more retaliation. There's no more retaliation. If you have transferred the sins onto the goat, and if you by faith believe that that has, it is all been removed from you, and by faith you believe that you have received forgiveness as an individual and as a society, as a people. And then if you believe those two things, then you also can must believe that the atonement has covered it and therefore there is no need for retaliation. And that's the equation. Sins have been cast onto the goat plus my forgiveness as a result of that means there's no need for retaliation there's no need for punishment there's no more need to try to earn or do something to get my needs met much of our need much of the needs that we have we either hide them most of us hide them most of us do very few people are able to say these are my needs my truest needs and confess them And so oftentimes we get our needs met in some very, very stealthy ways rather than in the truth. These are my needs. And so that's why that system continues. That's why confession was so necessary. That's why the first step was so necessary. You as a people, and they were to do this as a society, they were to confess their sins out loud. (laughs) It was like, confess your sins, confess your needs, confess whatever is really going on on the inside. You must confess that it must be put out there. <clears throat> and then <clears throat> you receive forgiveness. And then there's no need for retaliation. And Christ becomes the scapegoat. Let me describe that part because that's important, right? You're thinking atonement, when are we going to get to Jesus? <clears throat> well, Christ uh, becomes the scapegoat. Let's start with that before we get to the, the sacrifice. The Romans themselves needed a scapegoat because things were not going so well. They were at the peak of their power under during the time of Jesus. But even then, Pax Romana, Roman peace, was difficult to maintain and keep. And whenever there were problems in a group of people, there was one solution. And politicians, people in power, governments knew that if one person dies for the sake of the whole, that can kind of start to quiet things down. Does that sound familiar for those who are New Testament readers? It's better for one man to die. Right? (laughs) Right? <laughs> if that's not the epitome of scapegoating right there, that was exactly scapegoating. It was like, we know what we're doing. It is better for one man to die. And that's what they did. They turned on Jesus and all of Roman's issue, the, the issues of Rome were placed upon this one person, who was the trouble. And the funny thing is from a um, societal perspective, which is really interesting if you think about how society works, is your, your needs and your perceived needs are actually not just your own or created by yourself. So philosophers have talked about this, that is actually created by you looking at somebody else who has something that you wish you had or that they are a little bit better than you or that they present something that is interesting and that you might like and that you might want. And so pretty soon, all of these desires that you have become collective desires. And if you feel that something's missing in you, uh, and then because you see something else that's missing in Or someone else has, well, they feel that something's missing in them, and then they start to, and this whole thing evolves, and pretty soon you have an opportunity for there to be one person who can be blamed for why you don't have what you need. And that's how politics works. That's the reason why in one election you will get a Democrat president, and then another election you get a Republican president, and then in the next one you get a Democrat. What's going on? It's the scapegoating. It's that the reason why we aren't doing as well is the previous administration didn't do what it should do, and the scapegoating continues and continues and continues. This is the reason why as Christians we have to be people who step outside of that system completely. Because it cannot be about scapegoating. It must be the new system that Jesus Christ brought into this world, which is a system that ends that entire thing permanently. When Jesus takes that on, he not only takes the scapegoat that the Romans needed, but he takes the scapegoat that the Jews needed. The Jews felt like there was a problem the problem is that we're still where we are and we aren't we're still under roman oppression and it looked like this 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 man named jesus might be helpful to us but he does these things and he doesn't quite fulfill what we wanted him to fulfill and pretty soon the frustrations of years and years and generation after generation of not getting what they wanted what they felt they needed are now cast upon this one man named Jesus. They betray him, they turn on him. The one who had been innocent becomes the scapegoat and he is sacrificed. So he becomes both, the scapegoat and the sacrifice goat. He's not the one to be noble and just go, I'll take it all on me, it's all my fault. He doesn't do that. In fact, he never takes blame or fault. What he does is he recognizes this has nothing to do with me. (laughs) This has to do with you and your need for a scapegoat and your need for a sacrifice. But on the day of my resurrection, when God declares me innocent, maybe then you will realize that the need that you had for a scapegoat was actually always your own need and not the truth that there was someone that was the cause of all your problems. Maybe then you'll turn and begin to look inward and you will understand that the very need is the problem. The very very need you've constructed as a society is the problem. What if you were to believe that everything you need, you already have? What if you were to believe that you don't need to punish yourself any longer? What if you were to believe you don't need to work anymore? to get approval, to get love? What if you were to believe that all is well? What if you were to believe that? What if you were to step out of that entire system? What if all the parts of yourselves that you've cut off and punished and that you could finally bring back in and say, this is the fullness of me? I've been saying this to some of my clients. I've been saying, can you bring the your whole self? Can you bring all of you to the table? Every part of you. And that is the hardest ask. And I know it is because it's hard for me. It's actually impossible <laughs> in some ways. But that's the, that's the cross. That's the whole message of atonement. Here's a better way of saying atonement. At-one-ment. at one meant. That's the point, the point of atonement. It is the bringing back to being one. It is bringing yourself back to full unity with God, to full unity with people, and to full unity with your own self. There's no need for punishment of people. There's no need to somehow sacrifice enough for God. There's no need to cut off parts of yourself. The atonement is complete in Christ. This is the reason why, for Jesus, it's the fulfillment of everything that was happening in Leviticus. It wasn't a contrast. It wasn't against Leviticus. Like whatever was happening there was dumb and bad, and I'm going to take it on me, and I'm going to die for the people. That's not it at all. It's not even close to that. All it is is it's the next evolution. It's the tree that's growing and becoming more full. It is exactly what Leviticus was pointing to at its seed form, at its essence, not the cultural pieces of it, but the deeper message, the transcendent message. That's what it's pointing to. You only need one goat, not a million. It's limited and it's total. Can you believe that that's enough? And can you believe that there is no longer any need for retaliation, for punishment, for sacrifice? It's complete. The day of atonement. And in Christ, it is complete even evermore so that there is no more need. For sacrifice at all. So what was symbolically happening in Leviticus is completed in the reality of Jesus Christ.